Hey guys, we have, uh, if you haven't been with us, we're, we're in Romans chapter 12. And Romans, where Paul gives you his doctrine of the church. And at the center of his doctrine of the church is a metaphor, the metaphor of the body. And, and in uh, that passage from verses 6 to 8 in Romans 12, he lists some seven gifts. But there are more than that. Um, I, I brought some books with me um, years ago. I, I read these things. Here, here's a book uh, that talks about the 19 gifts of the Spirit. This book here has, uh, I think, like one of these, I forget, 26 that they mention. And, and this one is, um, uh, I think it's 16 or something like that. But the, the point is, people disagree as to the number. And I'll show you one of the reasons why they do that. But the, um, it's, it's really safe to say that there's more than seven. And that's all that Paul mentions in Romans 12. And so what, what I've tried to do is just give you the, just the lowest common denominator. And, and so we're looking at 15. We've looked at seven. We're going to look at four more tonight and four more next week, and then we're done. Now, um, there's, there's two things that I want to remind you that I've said. Well, I haven't said one of these. One of these I have said, and, and it's this. Guys, it is not mandatory that you discover your spiritual gift. Um, I, I think sometimes we get a, a little bit uh, overly excited about what our spiritual gift is. And I, and I certainly hope that you will discover your spiritual gift, Paul, would have you. In, in, in terms of the health of the church, yes. But it is not mandatory that you know your spiritual gift. What is mandatory is that you, that you serve Jesus Christ and obey him. In the midst of doing that, I have a hunch that you will discover what your spiritual gift is. Don't get bogged down over that and miss the the real important thing, and that is obedience and service to this Christ of ours. Now, so I've already said that, and I, I just want to just remind you of that so we don't get hung up on finding our gift. I hope if we want to help you discover that. But what I would be far more excited about is that we all determine that we're going to find a way to serve Jesus Christ and obey him. Now, the other thing that I have not addressed, but I've been asked it twice. I was asked it two weeks ago by a woman. I was asked it last week by a man. So it, it seems like everybody in the audience is covered, and that is this. Um, are my spiritual gifts only to be used inside the local church or inside my church? And, I, and I've answered both of them the same way. And, and uh, I just wanted you to see this. This is, uh, this is a book I read years ago, but... Um, um, my answer, if that's a, something that's troubling you, the only place that spiritual gifts are to be used is not simply your church. This is, this is, um, you might not know this, uh, Richard Halverson. Does that name ring a bell? You have to be my age to remember the name Richard Halverson. But he was the, um, he was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church, Hollywood, California. And, uh, at that time had a, the, had a membership of 7,000. Now, and so he went about, set about to f- discover the number of positions available uh, for laymen to serve in. He found, out of a church of 7,000, he found 365. <laughs> um, he, he mentions, um, uh, where is it? Um, um, yes. Um, teaching, choirs, boards, committees, auxiliaries, 365 spots. So that meant that uh, um, 6,635 there was, there was not a place for them to plug in. And so what he, the point that he was making is the Christian church doesn't have, I mean, the Christian church desires to see her whole laity mobilized, but there's not enough to do in any, any single local church 
to, to find a place for everyone. That is, that they're going to use their spiritual gifts within their church. So don't, don't feel bounded by, by your local church. I mean, I, I hope that's a good place to start looking as to where you might use your spiritual gifts. But there are other places outside of your church as, as too. So um, that seemed to be a question on some people's minds, and I thought I would at least address it. Okay, guys, we got four tonight. Let me show you why um, uh, why there's a difference in in the total number. Um, let me ask you to turn to First um, Peter four, and, and this will kind of explain a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I wonder if you've ever heard that um, hospitality is considered a spiritual gift. Let me show you this. This is in First Peter four. Verses, let's start, um, let's start with verse 9. Um, 1 Peter 4, 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And now notice what follows in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, the point is, it doesn't say in verse 9 that this is a spiritual gift. <clears throat> but it seems to suggest that in verse 10. That the whole context of what Peter is, is talking about is the use of one's spiritual gift. And he mentions hospitality, but he doesn't specifically call it a gift. And so some would suggest that it isn't, and others would suggest that it is. I, I like to consider it a spiritual gift, um, and I'll tell you why. I love the word. Um, that, this just, just drives me crazy. <laughs> um, where was I? Philo? Xenia. Uh, uh, that's not. A, they don't have a dot in. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Philozenia. That's the Greek word that is translated uh, hospitality. It's a very interesting word. It's a combination of two words: philo or philos or love. And this is a word. Have you ever heard of xenophobia? You know what xenophobia is? A xen- a, a, a xenophobia is a fear of strangers. Philozenia is a love of strangers. Forget this machine. Uh, hit it harder. Hello. Well, I like to write up here, Steve. <laughs> okay. Philozenia. The whole idea of hospitality is a love of strangers. Guys, it is said historically that the one thing that so impressed the the pagan world of Rome was that homes were opened up and people were invited into their homes. The thing that made the greatest impact on Rome is that this fledgling Christian church was willing to invite strangers into their homes. I love this thing because it's a it's a great concept, the idea of the love of strangers. Guys, there are, within this body, no doubt, people who are awfully lonely. And, and to, to, to see people open their homes to just people they don't know is more of a, makes more of an impact that you can, than you can ever possibly imagine. Guys, it's, a, it's an ability to make outsiders who feel vulnerable and insecure to make them feel welcome. I can tell you this, guys. Um, people who come into any church um, for the first time, 
the thing that they sense almost immediately, well, let's, let's say after four weeks, the thing that they sense is a climate. And, and a, a sense of climate that is, that is established by people like, or, or who have the gift of hospitality or, or whether or not we're going to express love for strangers. It's also something, it's a character quality that is, des- that is listed in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 as a qualification for elders. They must be hospitable. By the way, do you, have you ever looked at the word hospitality? Do you see the other word that's in there? Hospital? It's a place that people go when they've got needs to be cared for. That's what this is. A quickness and a readiness to invite people that you don't know into your home and, and, and communicate safety to them. Uh, you know, um, I, I can tell you this. I don't know if there's anybody in this church who's had their home trampled through more than ours. But we do not have the gift of hospitality. Um, if you have to undo your whole routine and you have to work three days to get the house ready so that people can come to your home, you don't have the gift of hospitality. What you have is a call to the ministry, I guess. But, um, <laughs> but, but guys, hospitality is, is exercised so much more easily than that. It's, it's not the concern about whether people notice my china or whether there's any dust you know, on the coffee tables. The issue is that I want people to know that they are loved here. They're strange, they're new, they're awkward, they're insecure, they're a little bit sensitive, but you're safe here. Um, folks, um, it, there's a real need in every church for hospitable people, and I think, I think it's safe to be able to list it as a spiritual gift because it has more impact than you can ever possibly imagine. Think about it, guys. Find somebody that you don't know on Sunday and invite them over to your house. How many of you are willing to do that? over for lunch and, and, and go to the refrigerator and say, hmm, I don't know what we're going to serve them. It's okay. Very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, people aren't concerned about what they eat. They're concerned about whether they sense that you really are interested in knowing them. That's the gift of hospitality. Um, and it's at its heart, it's just the love of strangers. Hospitality. All right, we got to move on. Um, the next one, again, that is not mentioned in the um, in the Romans 12 passage, but Paul does mention it in Ephesians 4. And here again is an example as to why there is a difference in opinion as to how many exist. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now, guys, there is a, there's no punctuation in the Greek language. The, the big question is, is there, is there supposed to be a hyphen between pastors and teachers? A comma. Is he saying there are pastors and there are teachers? Or is he saying there's pastor teachers? The gift of a pastor teacher. Well, just for the sake of the argument, I'm simply going to say uh, that there's one gift there. And it's, it's pastoral in nature. Now, guys, do you know what the, the Greek word for pastor is? It's the word... Poimain. And everybody knows what that word means. It has to do with sheep. It has to do with being a shepherd. 
Did you know that's what pastor is? And, and, and guys, the greatest expression or the greatest illustration of whether or not you've got the gift of pastor teacher is John chapter 10. If you want to see if you've got the gift of pastor teacher, then just read John 10. Because you know what that one is? You know what John 10 is? Oh, that's the, that's the, the, the chapter that's called the, the, um, the chapter about the good shepherd. You know, Jesus and, if, if you like to do things for people that shepherds like to do for sheep, then you might have the gift of pastor teacher. So what does a shepherd do for, um, for sheep? Well, a shepherd is very concerned. He has a strong instinct to protect sheep from hostile influences. Uh, he enjoys feeding. Well, let's talk about people. He enjoys feeding people from, from God's word and meeting spiritual needs. Um, he's, uh, he, he emotionally identifies with people and easily identifies and clarifies their specific needs. He's, um, he's often engaged in, uh, in provision and refreshment and guidance and leadership and instruction and providing us an environment where sheep can get fat, <laughs> where they're safe and they're protected from wolves. So he creates, he loves to create an environment where people are are getting fat over the feeding that they're getting from God's Word. Um, let me show you this, because I, I, I always... Um, if, if you can find Ezekiel 34 real quick, because it'll, it'll, it'll give you an idea about the gift itself. Um, I would say to you that most... I don't know how many people are in the gospel ministry in, in the United States. Um, uh, 100,000? I don't know. Um, but I would, I would venture that 70% of them usually have the gift of pastor teacher. Um, but, but I want to read, this is in Ezekiel 34. Um, and the word of the Lord come, came to me, that is, came to Ezekiel. And he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. And here you go. Here, here comes a nice picturesque description of the gift of pastor teacher. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled over them. Do you, do you get the sense, ladies and gentlemen, as to what God would have shepherds do? Just, just turn all those things and make them positive. Um, they're concerned about sick and seeing that they're healed. They're concerned about injured that they can be bound up. They're concerned that the ones that strayed be brought back. They're concerned that the lost be sought. Those who have the gift of pastor teacher are are men and women who are are willing to assume this long term personal responsibility for the spiritual welfare welfare of a group of believers. Um, that's what you are if you have the gift of pastor teacher, guys. Um, uh, you're more sympathetic than you are systematic. Um, you know, you you. You have an ability to relate to people in deep relationships. You you um, you you find those comfortable and enjoyable. Um, I would say I, I said a moment ago that seventy percent of the gospel ministry I think has the gift of pastor teacher. 
<clears throat> but if you do have the gift of pastor teacher, um, you're going to find yourself in a smaller environment as, as opposed to a larger one. Because ultimately, uh, somebody said this, and of course this is, this is up for grabs too, but that any one man can minister to only 85 people. Uh, you, you can build just so many relationships. And because you have, if you have this gift of pastor teacher, you're so interested in building those long-term, deeper, more intimate relationships. There's only 85 of them that you can really stretch yourself to. And so beyond that, uh, you know, you get somewhat. So, so ultimately, if this is your gift, your, your, your audience is going to be shrunk some, but they're going to be really healthy. They're going to be really well-fed and well-protected and, and they're, they're going to be safe and they're going to be secure in, in, because you have, you have shielded them against all hostile influences. That's the role of a pastor teacher. That's the gift of a pastor teacher. Um, I, I, you know, I refuse to use names, but I think we've got a couple of those on the staff uh, who have a real gift of pastor teacher, and I'm oh so glad we do. Okay, we got two more to go, and we got 16 minutes. Um, I, I like this other one too because it. Um, uh, there's another Greek word for you. Um, um, now you know that word. <laughs> the Greek word is kubernao. There is a whole a science in the corporate world called cybernetics. You know what cybernetics is? Well, it comes from this Greek word. Let me let me show you what a what a um, see if you can find Acts chapter twenty seven real quick. This has to do with the gift of administration, guys. Uh, it's mentioned a couple of places, but Paul mentions it in First Corinthians twelve twenty eight. The the gift of administration. It comes from that word. The, the word that's found in First Corinthians twelve is that one, kubernao, or at least a very uh, a form of that that verb. But that same Greek word is found in, and in, 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 I'm taking you here because I think it will help you define the gift of administration. It's in Acts 27.11. Um, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. All right, I, you don't need to understand the, the context, but just notice in that verse, there are two words that are mentioned there. There is a ship, well, there's actually there's... There's this Roman centurion. He's got Paul as a prisoner. He's putting him on this boat. And there are two people. There's the owner of the ship and that there's the, there's a pilot to the ship. The word that is translated pilot is this one. The same one that you get in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 talking about the gift of administration. If you want to see this gift in action, it's right here. It's a man who's piloting a boat. He doesn't own the boat. He doesn't determine the, the end result of the boat. He doesn't say where it goes and what's going to be done once it gets there. His job is to take the assignment and steer the thing according to the wishes of the owner. That's, a, that's an administrator. Um, he, he doesn't determine the, the port at which it lands, but he does determine the course once it's out to sea. He's a pilot, guys. He's, he's one that steers, he, um, uh, he guides, he directs, he oils the machine, he keeps things on dead center, he keeps them heading and tracking to the goal. 
<coughs> it, it, it enables one to clearly understand the immediate and long-range goals of a particular unit of, of the body of Christ and devise and execute plans for the accomplishment of those goals. That's what an administrator is. Um, they're, they're far more task-oriented than they are people-oriented. They, um, um, they, they make, I mean, just imagine the, the guy that's steering the boat and once it's out to sea, who has more influence? The pilot or the owner? The pilot. <laughs> yes. Does he make decisions? You bet he does because he decides which route that thing's going to take and what it's going to take to get it there safely. Once you get on that boat, then the, the passengers are going to have to trust the pilot's navigational judgment and skills. Um, you're, you're, you're motivated to organize that for which you are responsible. You, um, you desire to complete tasks as, as quickly as possible. And there is, um, there is a willingness to endure the reaction from the workers as you grind out getting to the goal. Um, I will say that administrators are sometimes, um, underappreciated, um, they, their concern for detail um, sometimes causes people to think they're a little bit too picky. Um, he's organized and disciplined in his own lifestyle. Uh, and, and others who aren't um, feel insecure around him or around you or her. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, guys, um, have you ever been to someone's home that that is piloted by someone who wants everything in the in its right place and and everything and but you've got clothes that are lying all over the bedroom floor and you walk into her house and you makes you feel very well it's possible that you've just walked into the house of somebody who has the gift of administration um it's very, very detailed. You know, my wife sometimes um, gets on to me about stories that I tell uh, from the pulpit uh, for lots of reasons. Um, some of them are inappropriate. And um, others of them, she, she um, you know, <laughs> my wife is not an administrator either. But if my wife tells a story, she gives you, she starts at A and ends at Z. I give you D, P, T, and Z. And you got to fill in the rest. Uh, administrators, that drives them crazy because they're detail-oriented. Um, those guys get the ship to the desired goal, but sometimes people, they ruffle feathers in doing so. By the way, I, I guess I could I could say this, guys. There's there's no spiritual gift that doesn't have a downside to it. There's there's no strength that doesn't have a weakness associated with it. So just understand that. Uh, that's why God has put us into a body because all of the strengths hopefully will 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 lead us to something that is that is healthy and good and and strong. But there's going to be misunderstandings. You know, I, I love to do this. I don't know if I've got time, but just imagine this. Let's imagine that you're in the hospital um, and you've just had major surgery and somebody 
with the gift of mercy comes to visit you. And um, they walk in and they say, I mean, how did it feel when you went under? I mean, are you in any pain right now? And then an hour later, somebody with the gift of administration walks in. And they walk in and they say, have you contacted your insurance salesman? I mean, uh, what is your deductible here? And, and how many days does your insurance say that you could, that you could, that you can stay? And then the, the guy with the gift of prophecy comes in and says, what sin in your life is God trying to expose as a result of this surgery? <laughs> and then the guy with teaching is saying, what lessons, I mean, you know, what lessons are you going to learn as a result of being laid on the shelf for a while? And then the, the you know, it's just, it's just how you view this same thing through the grid that God has given you and you approach it differently. But in the end, you know, you walk out of the hospital and all of your little needs have been addressed by the body. But I mean, if you, if only the administrator comes over, you'd be thinking, well, goodness gracious, don't they care about how I feel? But the administrator is doing his job, and unfortunately, there's a downside to it. There's always going to be a downside, guys. That's what the fall has done to us. Okay, um, let me do one more, and then and we'll quit for the night. The, the last one that I want you to consider is the gift of knowledge. Now, guys, um, I say this for last for a reason. Um, because you and I, we live in an anti-intellectual age. Um, uh you know there is this 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 notion that that we can have fellowship in the Christian church uh, around Jesus. Now I don't mean to make light of that name. I do mean to make light of that statement. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> you make a silly statement like that to me, and here's what I'm going to ask you. The next thing that's coming out of my mouth is right is is this. Oh, who is Jesus? And immediately, we're in a conversation that's going to require that you know certain things about who he is, what he did, what he claims, and what the scriptures have to say about him. Guys, this no creed but Christ business. And, and don't talk to me about doctrine because um, that's divisive. That's poppycock, ladies and gentlemen. That comes from living in an anti-intellectual age where th- there's this atmosphere that, that, that we need to emphasize feelings more than knowledge. And guys, it's, um, it, 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 it attacks the very vitals of the church. Now, can knowledge be misused? Yes. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13. Knowledge puffeth up. Um, a, a lot of knowledge can, then can create problems. Yes. But guys, the Christian church is founded upon the communication of information. For instance, guys, if you, if you, um, um, if you denigrate the role that knowledge has in the Christian church, then what you've done is undercut the whole doctrine of creation, which tells us that we're made as rational creatures. You have also undercut the whole doctrine of revelation, not the book of, but the fact that God has revealed himself in thoughts so that we can grapple with who he is. 
you are doing an huge disservice to undercut the idea that knowledge is important. It, it, it is important, guys. Now, it can be abused, yes. And nobody is more guilty of abusing it than seminary students, than seminary graduates. I mean, I, I, am, I am one of the um, classic abusers. I mean, you know, they, they say that, that it takes seminary graduates five years to get over their seminary training. You go out and you think, oh, well, you know, I got, you don't. And you get yourself in all kinds of trouble. Yes, yes, yes. But ladies and gentlemen, having, having acknowledged the flaw, let's celebrate the presence of the gift. Um, the, not, the gift of knowledge is the ability to discover, accumulate, analyze, clarify information and ideas which are pertinent to the growth and well-being of the body of Christ. If you've got this gift, you love... There, there is a quest to know. There, you love study, inquiry, investigation, uh, especially of, of God's Word and spiritual truths. You have an ability to search and to systematize and summarize truth. But you don't necessarily have the ability to communicate it. Um, guys, um, I'll just tell you a quick story, and, and I'm going to use the guy's name because I don't think he would mind. He didn't go to church here anymore. <laughs> I mean, they, they moved. They moved to Texas, and he was precious, precious. Uh, his name was Bruce Meyer. Bruce Meyer, I, if you ever met Bruce, he was an attorney, and uh, uh, they invited us, Susan and I, over supper one night. And he had the whole collection of, of Spurgeon sermons. The only other person in the world that I know that has the whole collection is me. Uh, the difference between me and Bruce is that his goal in life was to read every volume, every word of every volume. And he showed us what volume. There's like 63 volumes. And he was like on volume 41. You have read 41 volumes of Spurgeon sermons? I mean, he was a delightful character. Really, he was. Still is. I mean, just a... A great scholar. I mean, and those you know him, you remember him. We made a mistake. We thought we we're going to get Bruce to teach a Sunday school class. And Bruce had made so many friends around here. And his wife was precious, Kathleen. And, and, and they, were just, they were just delightful people. And I hated to see him move. And so they had all these friends, and when, when it was announced that Bruce Meyer was going to teach a Sunday school class, people flocked to that class the first Sunday. <laughs> I mean, the first Sunday, there was like 55 people in the class. The second Sunday, there was down to 20. And before we could pull the plug, I mean, it was four. Um, now, and I think Bruce learned some things, and we learned some things. You might have this wonderful treasure of, of being able to grapple with God's Word in such a way that, that you, are, you are a reservoir of truth for the rest of us. Now, communicating it is another problem. Um, you enjoy research and analysis and summarizing the truth in the systems. You, in, you tend to avoid experience-oriented people. 
you tend to be very uh, uh, objective and disattached from the emotional implications of the material that you're dealing with. But um, very few people can be as, let's see, what, what's the right nice politically correct word? <clears throat> um, out of touch with their surroundings as someone with a gift of knowledge. Um, your interest in the truth and the truth alone uh, uh, is translated by the rest of us is that you really don't care for people. Uh, you may appear to some um, not to be very spiritual because you have this great emphasis on objectivity and reason. And guys, uh, ladies, I, I, I hope you're out there. But I would tell you that you're, um, you're, um, the roles that you need to play, you need to be careful how you choose them. Because you're gonna frighten people with the, um, with the overall amount of what you know. And, and you find that so exhilarating to study, and that's great, and it can be very useful in keeping a church out of doctrinal error. But, it's, um, it's a, it's, it's just a warning. Um, the rest of us don't know as much as you know. And so, communicating it takes some real care. I hope you're married. If you've got this gift, because your spouse can help you carve off some of the rough edges as you, um, as you try to exercise your gift. I'm telling you guys, those who love the truth value you. You just have to be careful as to, um, to, to not overpower the rest of us with all that you know. That's all we got time for. Let me pray for us. Lord, I do pray that you would raise up all of these gifts among us, um, that you will find, that you will identify people that are excited about their gift and that you would unleash them in the power of the Spirit to accomplish sweet and good and truthful things as we try to steer ourselves towards a desired haven that Gracie Van might stay on course, that she might not veer to the right or to the left because we're we're overtaken by error, by foolishness, that we forget the task of reaching the world with a message about a crucified Savior, the one who lived the life that we should have lived and then died the death that we should have died. Father, may all else pale into insignificance as we broadcast that message in obedience to the Great Commission to a world that is being consumed while it consumes. Use Gracie Van, Lord, to announce and proclaim the excellencies and the beauties of Jesus Christ and give us these people who are variously gifted to do that, uh, realizing our strengths and our shortcomings and our weaknesses so that we can minimize the pain that we inflict. We uh, ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.